Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody listening, welcome to Rad. Rad, episode five. Five, I think. I think it's episode five, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, I feel like we say this every week, but we are very excited about our guest this week. Today is somebody who really inspires not only us, but the entire running community. You've definitely seen this mustached man running around <laughs> the streets of New York with a camera and thought, how is he going so fast? <laughs> um, before even meeting, I started following Dave's Perimeter Project, uh, which we will get into. And I think you know this, but you're ultimately the reason why we and so many others now run the Perimeters. As of yesterday. Yeah, as of yesterday, we actually joined the Perimeter Club um, but we're so excited to actually be in New York in person recording with you. So from internet friends to real life friends, Dave Hashem, welcome to Brad. Woo! <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Congrats on the perimeter. Uh, thanks. Thank thanks for sending us your route and help <laughs> making yeah. sure that we didn't end up going through the construction of the East River. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, getting tripped up on that East River is, uh, would have been kind yeah. of Yeah. And we only got lost once. Yeah. Which is honestly impressive. It That's is impressive. impressive. Yeah. At the very top. I know people here who have worked here. <laughs> much longer who have gotten way lost we were with andrew lyle and he was like you've got this route down i was like it's dave's it's dave's (laughs) (laughs) it's like i give him all credit (laughs) so we like to start off just by you know we gave a brief introduction but what's something that a lot of people don't know about you or something that you know maybe we don't know about you that you just want to start off with um i have not been running that long um which is always shocking to people i've only been running since the fall of 2019 uh, and that's sort of reason why I leave with that is it gives me a different perspective on this is all still new to me. Mm-hmm. And people think that I've been like entrenched in the running scene for 10 years. This is all fairly still like kind of exciting. There are times where I, I do get a little jaded uh, just because like it's now my full time job is, is shooting people in running. Um, but, you know, before that, I was an athlete. I was a different type of athlete. I, I did a lot of climbing, soccer, and downhill racing. So people are always shocked to figure out, like, oh, my God, you haven't really. It's kind of new to you. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So I guess, how did you get into it? What made you start? The, the quick 30-second, my, yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> my running origin story. Yeah. Um, what happened? Uh, I was drunk at brunch with my friend, who was a runner. <laughs> And we were talking about marathons and I was like, I've always kind of wanted to do a marathon. Um, so we drunkenly signed up for Chicago and just the lottery and just said, you know, why not? <laughs> if it happens, it happens. Uh, I got in and he didn't. So I didn't have a training partner. Uh, the whole point was for us to train. And I was like, you know what? I might as well give it a shot. See what this whole thing is about. People tend to get very excited about this type of activity. Um, and I hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. Um, I was training with a, a, a really awesome group. Um, it wasn't their fault. It was me because I just wasn't putting in the, the work. Um, we called Mile High Run Club because I was doing a 16-week training program, and it was just every step was brutal. Every mile was brutal. I fell in love the second to last long run, and then I immediately got injured. So oh, no, <laughs> it was two weeks before Chicago, and I couldn't walk. So oh my God. I bought the tickets anyway and just figured I'd do it. And I, I ran it. I ran it injured, which I do not recommend. <laughs> and I was then out for three months because of that. And I think that actually helped like kindle my love for it because I had just gotten like this small little taste of mm-hmm. what the power of the marathon, the power of community mm-hmm. running, the power of like setting somewhat of a goal, achieving that goal. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, then I just kept, I kept going at it. Uh, I kept just like signing up for marathons, signing up for races. And now here we are, what is it, three, four years later? Yeah, um, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. What do you think changed on that second last long run that just clicked that spark? Uh, it was a 22 miler. Uh-huh. And I think for me, every single long run was devastating to my body. Like I would come home and sleep for six hours. And I was, it was the first thing I was doing where I was like legitimately nervous about it. Like I went in very pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to be terrible. Every single one of these has been terrible. And it wasn't. And just being out there in New York um, for, you know, three hours or mm-hmm. however long it took me uh, and a few other people, we just explored Brooklyn and we went on the Pulaski Bridge. And the Pulaski Bridge, if you're not familiar, is a drawbridge. And so we got stuck (laughs) at the drawbridge and we had to basically be like, all right, we have to just stay, screw our route. Mm -hmm. And so we just went into Brooklyn and I was running in places I'd never been before. And I was like, this is really awesome. This is a really fun way to explore the city. And I left feeling more invigorated than when I started. And that was the first time that it ever happened. That's that. amazing. Yeah, that's such a good yeah. way to put it. That I like the word invigorated because it's exactly the feeling. It is. Yeah. You like leave yeah. and you're it's that runner's high that people are always chasing. So that's really Yeah, cool. I feel like it's a good sign. I, I'd say like a good sign of a long run is when you want to do one or two more miles. Mm-hmm. But you but you're like your training plan yeah. or whatever tells you not to. Obviously people do. But yeah, yeah. I feel like that's a sign of a good long run. Of like I want to continue. Yeah, and I, I am a firm believer that there's no better way to explore a city than a long run. Oh, 100%. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah, even when I went down to DC with you guys, I was yeah. I made sure to, to to text James and was like, "Show me your roots, yeah. like show me where you guys run," because like, yeah, I've been to DC a million times, but I've never had been in those places. Yeah, it yeah, it's I'm, the best. I mean, it's even sometimes now, like having lived in DC for two years, and you know, you, I feel like you get stuck in the same routes a lot of times. You run the mall, you run the yeah. the river, like the waters, things like that. Sometimes you just go out and you're like, "I have no route plan. I don't even know how much I want to run. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go to different streets and see what I find." And you always find something new, which yeah. is really cool always something new to see yeah so i guess also while we're in kind of the origin story (laughs) yeah what do you do where are you from where are you currently i am originally from western massachusetts um so that is as far away from boston as you can be and still be in the states i am not a bostonite Uh, it's closer to new york uh i grew up there um originally uh something a lot of people know about me is i'm adopted so i'm a i was born in guatemala i came here when i was six months old um to my family who is lebanese part lebanese part italian uh and i lived in michigan for seven years before moving to new york so i moved to new york around 2008 basically just said i need to leave michigan i felt Mm -hmm. very comfortable i went to college there and just stayed Mm -hmm. um and so i was like i am turning into a townie and i need to just find some direction and so i moved to new york and then i've been here for i don't know 14 15 years now wow which is nice that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Kind of a short orange story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's really cool. They always say, like, what do you think the, um, the amount of years you have to be in New York to be considered a New Yorker? I, I think <laughs> there's, unless you, so I have a controversial take here. Unless you grew up here, mm-hmm. you're not a true New Yorker. And, but you funny. are a New Yorker, like, because there's, like, a sort of demarcation. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike Sace, who founded Bridge Runners, who's been here his entire life, raised family here. Um, still here, mm-hmm. you know, I associate him and his sort of class. He's old, old, old school New York. Yeah. Um, it's weird for me to say like, yeah, I'm on par with my <laughs> in terms of being like New York cred, but it's, I think it's a 10, 10 years is like typically what people say, but still it's hard for me to 
it's hard for me to sort of say that. Yeah, no, I feel like that's it's very a valid. It's like a little bit of imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it still feels new. And yeah. I think like, you know, the perimeter project made me realize how much of the city I didn't know already, mm-hmm. uh, even though I thought I knew a ton. And I think, you know, there's always more to explore. There's always people to meet. There's always things you didn't know about the city. Oh, yeah. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. So that's why like 10 years, it's like all the exploring I did in 10 years, I still didn't see. I still haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. That's like truly the amazing part of New York is you will never see everything. No, it's 100%. like even if you are born and bred here, like there's no <laughs> way you can see it all, which is amazing. We also we did briefly stalk your LinkedIn and did a little bit, <laughs> did a little bit of research on you, uh, and we have to. And I mean, that's another thing in terms of something that we didn't know about you, and maybe a lot of people don't. You have a very impressive resume, <laughs> and so we were wondering if you can give a little bit of a walkthrough of your career path. Yeah, hundred percent. So when I moved here, I guess at oh eight oh nine, um, around that cost because uh, I was still trying to look for a job because I, I graduated um, graduated Michigan a little late but I was class 07 and I moved here during the first writer, writer strike in a way when it was all about oh my god people are watching things on the internet I'm dating myself here <laughs> <laughs> but it was like people are watching like video on demand how do we compensate writers for this because there was just no structure mm-hmm. so and I was working in film at the time and so I moved here no jobs every contact i had in the film industry couldn't get work for themselves why would they you know they had no opportunity to even help me mm-hmm. so i had originally got into the mbc page program in los angeles so that mm-hmm. if you're not familiar mbc page program is a, it's a professional training program that lasts a year and you do various different stints at parts of nbc so it gives you like a nice lay of the land of the entertainment industry or the news industry or the business industry of television and film um, I got in LA and I did not want to move to LA. Mm-hmm. It just was not mm-hmm. my job. So I called them and said, I'm moving to New York. Are there any opportunities in New York? I they were like, yeah, we actually have an opportunity. You, you should join. Had no idea what television was, no idea what marketing was. Mm-hmm. I literally was like, I could not be more ill-prepared. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked as a page for a while and then fell into a job at local news for the marketing department. And I was like, it's a paycheck. Literally, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, um, and that blossomed into a ten-year news career. So I oh, worked cool. um, a lot of different, a lot of different roles across my career, but uh, predominantly in news. So I worked the bulk of my career at MSNBC and NBC News, and then ABC News. Um, so it's majority news and media marketing is my specialty, and I love the industry. But um, after a while, news just kind of drains drags on you. Mm-hmm. So. I went to TripAdvisor, The Skim, and then Bandit Running for a bit, and now I'm freelance. Uh, I did a whole career switch. And yeah. Freelance photographer. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool. very excited to dive into that yeah. a little bit because I feel like even from new from being in news and marketing to then the shift to photography in general, like how did you get into photography? Was it a hobby? Was it something that you kind of just picked up randomly? Honestly, news I took all my time, mm-hmm. so I, I didn't touch. Originally, I moved from the school for cinematography. In, in Michigan. And when I came here, I expected to work on set. I couldn't afford a camera, mm-hmm. just couldn't buy one. So I was like, I'll use my career to be creative. When I got into television, there's just no time. And I was on the business side of television, so I was not on the production side. But what it taught me in marketing for news, what you're trying to do is get people to either watch an episode of something, 2020, Good Morning America, World News Tonight, or download or take an action, like mm-hmm. download an app, mm-hmm. go to a website. So I figured out how to very quickly merchandise a story. And I was working with the most talented storytellers in the industry. 
And that sort of influenced how I approach photography. Um, I try to think about it as it's not just me taking photos, it's me trying to tell these individual runners stories across New York and you know other parts of the United States. But I did not intend to become a photographer. I actually was a cinematographer and a shit photographer. Like, <laughs> I never was good. I was great at working with film on set films. Mm -hmm. So it's, it was a shift. It was hard, mm -hmm. but literally it was um, very organic. So it was it's really cool. Yeah. It's, it, it was nothing that was planned. Let me just say that. So since it wasn't planned, you'd never thought you'd be a <laughs> photographer. How did you decide you wanted to do full-time freelance? Uh, I mean, I left Bandit in January and I think, you know, I was looking at where my skill sets mm -hmm. lie and I it just, working in a marketing team just didn't mm -hmm. excite me right mm -hmm. now. It, didn't, it still doesn't excite me right now. And I was sort of looking at my skill set. And I, as, at this point, I've been taking photos for two years. And I was sort of like, I say shit or get off the pot moment, but it was, I need to either do this or I am not going to do this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when you are photographing people, I, I sort of take it with a grain of salt. I was like, hey, have you thought about doing this professionally? Mm -hmm. You know, we like your photos. Mm -hmm. like, do you want to, is this yeah. how you make your own money? And it's sort of a compliment. And But I always take it as like, oh, you're just, you're dassing me up. Like, <laughs> get out of here, stop it. Um, but I realized really quickly that I could do this full time. And I, I do like the freedom that, mm -hmm. that it has. It's a grind. It's hard. It's not easy. And especially if you're making money off of your creativity, there's nobody else that can back you up. Like on the marketing team, you have an idea, you have a campaign, you have a team behind you. If it doesn't work out or it does work out, it's great. You celebrate as a team, but if it doesn't work out, you have people that can fall back on and absorb that. When it's only you, you have to put yourself out there 150% every single time you go out. And it's hard. It's, it's not easy, but it's honestly been so fulfilling. And I feel like there is momentum that I'm seeing of the clients that I'm getting and the work that I'm doing. And I'm enjoying it. So I feel like you're one of the pioneers of like this runtography like movement mm -hmm. that's especially going on in New York right now. And so how did you also decide that with going into photography, we're going to focus on running specifically? That's a good question. Um, so backtracking to 2021 was when I first picked up a camera to start shooting running. April of 2021. And I had been a part of Brooklyn Track Club and this was coming out of the pandemic, right? Okay. So everyone was like, everyone had run by themselves or had small little pockets of their run friends. But this was the first time like sort of spring when things started to open up, run groups started happening again. And everyone was like, I just want to hang out with people. Okay. Everyone, so, so people start. So I was like, I had seen Tina Bearden, uh, a good friend of mine who who is now with Steve Madden, uh, working as an art director she like left her career and did photography and that was is, is is that's that's her entire entire job i was like oh i see, I see you out with a camera shooting runners that looks cool not having any knowledge that this had been something that had been going on in new york for, mm -hmm. for close to a decade so i was like yeah, i'll just i'll i have an old camera that you know since i had bought like my wife and i bought a bought a dslr for ourselves just for vacations i'll go and start taking photos they were terrible. It was, awful. <laughs> it was a really like humbling experience, but I enjoyed being around people. And I enjoyed, cause you know, this, you can't always, it's hard to always go out to every run and run every run and be mm -hmm. a part of everything. Like you want to do that, but it's yeah. physically draining. It's like here when there's five run clubs every single day that you can go to. <laughs> it's, just, it's almost like too much. Yeah. Like, you know, like every run club across the city is doing something at some point. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, it's a way for me to be around runners, test some stuff out, test some of my artistic abilities. I have yeah. not touched a camera in like close to 15 years. I was like, yeah, screw it. Let's do it. Um, and then it slowly became something that I, I realized was a whole culture, a whole part of the culture. I didn't realize I was tapping into a part of the running history that had been essentially dormant because of COVID, mm-hmm. right? Like we couldn't go out for COVID. So we were just, um, everyone was indoors. And I didn't know that this was a thing. So all of a sudden here I am taking photos and going around the city and be like, Hey, I'll shoot you guys. You know, I'll shoot your run group. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that there had been people that had been doing that for a while. And it's something that like COVID sort of reset a lot of people's memories for a lot of different reasons, of course. But this one specific thing, it, as I started to do it more and more, I realized I had something there. I wasn't, my shots weren't good. My technical ability was decent, but there was something that people were enjoying. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept doing it. I don't know if that answers your question. Of course <laughs> it answers my question. <laughs> do you ever go back and look at like those original shots compared oh, to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do quite frequently. Um, one thing that I never, that I, I don't really talk about online too much, which I, I may start doing more, is just the the analogy between photography and running Mm -hmm. you go back and you look at your old running photos like my first half marathon i was in basketball shorts and (laughs) i had no idea what i was doing i didn't fuel any properly i ran it sick um and like tracking on the strava app no watch (laughs) i didn't have yeah not even sure don't even have yeah (laughs) i didn't know how to use it um and so like but you more you do it the better you are are going to intrinsically get mm-hmm. at it. And so I'll look back and if you really want to do better, a friend of mine said, you just got to obsess over yeah. your images. And I'll, I'll look at images I took a week ago and start to pick them apart and be like, how can I do better? How can I push myself better? Um, but at the time, a lot of what I was trying to do, and I should have mentioned this as well, is I started a website called NYC Run Photo which was just a means for distribution. Mm-hmm. What I saw here in New York was like, everyone would say, how can I see these? The most number one question of a photographer, where are you posting these? Mm-hmm. And saying, well, follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is dehash. And then you go, you click in the bio and then the next run happens and the bio link is different and people don't remember your mm-hmm. handle. So I started it just as a way to say, it's easy ways, easy to remember. And then it started to become a, more of a thing where people were relying on it mm-hmm. and their long runs. And so I realized that there was this business side of it, as well as this artistic side that I was starting to figure out a little bit of the mechanics of, mm-hmm. and it was, it, you know, it's gotten me where I am today, the organization of that, but you know, it wouldn't be without Tina Bearden, like shout out to her. Um, I wouldn't be where I am because not only was I like picking apart my own photos, I was looking at the stellar work she was putting out. And I was like, how do I get that? So it's, it's, you really have to obsess over the images or else you won't get better. Yeah, that makes sense. Are you fully self-taught? No, it's hard to say self-taught because I went to school for cinematography. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you are introduced to things like pinhole cameras and I, I've worked with film for many, many years. And like, you need a teacher to teach you those things. When it comes to running photography, I did all of it myself until I worked with Jason Suarez pretty closely. And I sort of was like to him, he he helped me level up Mm -hmm. in terms of asking him very critical questions on my like critique an image. And he'd say, 
all these technical things of how I can make it better. And it was not about what I was capturing or how I was capturing it. It's just how can I technically get better and more proficient or have I thought of these things? Mm -hmm. I think you're always going to be self-taught because your style is intrinsic to you, but it requires a lot of different inputs. And I know people that don't like that. Mm -hmm. Some people that love that. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of in the middle where I like to do my own thing. I like to have my own style and it's, People have told me I have something, I have a very distinctive style. Definitely. But I do like to try to emulate or take different pieces of style from across the board. And that just requires either a conversation with a photographer, like, you know, I appreciate your style, let's talk shop. Or like, literally, can you just tell me what you think about this image? Yeah. Can you think of a race or a shoot that was your favorite? Oh, man. I mean, I think... uh, it's hard. Uh, I would say the turning point for me, the turning point shoot was an old man run club shoot. So this actually goes back to Jason Suarez. I don't talk a lot about him, but this, <laughs> this was why I kept going. Like I was in a little bit of a slump where I felt like the images I was doing weren't getting better. And this was 20, 2021, late 2021. He was moving to LA. They had a run for him. And I was like, I'll try one more time. And it's a high bar because like Jason's may or may not see these photos at some point. And so I knew I needed to do two things. I needed to turn them around as fast as I have ever turned them around because they have a party afterwards and I Mm -hmm. want them to be at the party looking at their phones, looking at the photos. And two, they need to be as compelling as anything I've ever put out. So I put my heart and soul into this run and it sounds kind of strange because it's like at the end of the day, these are all meaningless, right? It's like a run that's happening in New York and you're photographing at the stakes are for the universe are fairly low, but I put a lot of pressure on myself for this. And I remember the next day I, so I did it, I put him out and the next day my friend Dennis and I were having brunch and he was like, did you, did Jason show you something like on your camera? Like, no, I didn't really talk to him. I just said, hi, I didn't know Jason <laughs> at this point. He's like, yeah. Cause he said something effective, like he figured it out. Oh, and wow. I knew that at that point, what he was saying and that one sentence, Mm-hmm. kept me going because yeah. at that point I was like I had no idea where I wanted to take it I didn't have a fresh perspective on anything and I tried some things and they worked out and I look at those photos again and it's still like I said before I, I cringe like <laughs> not that amazing but I see what he was saying when mm-hmm. he said that. yeah that's powerful that's really cool yeah that was cool yeah I feel like also because of this unique kind of niche of the photograph in the running community and being a runner yourself. Have you learned anything about the New York running community or the running community in general, but being behind the camera instead of being the one actually running? Oh yeah. I mean, you see how stepping back, like it's just running, right? If you just break it down to like, what makes a group run special? What makes a, a particular part of a group run from uptown to downtown to Brooklyn to Queens special. It's the people and how people set up their group runs or how they structure them or how they talk to each other, how they further the culture. And I think what I've seen across what I've been able to capture is like, there is a, there is a fabric that's there that is unique to the individual, to the individual group. And it's important. That's important. And I think, a lot of people miss that importance when they talk about running. A lot of people will, like certain brands will try to commoditize the word community. Certain people will try to commoditize the word community. 
it's an amorphous concept, but I think when you're out there and you're talking to these runners who, and these people who dedicate most of their free time to this, mm -hmm. that they're not getting, no one's getting paid. People are getting paid or not getting paid a ton. Mm -hmm. And very few people can make an actual like, living off of it. You notice it's just this passion that they have for it. And I think it's something that's, it, when the community comes out for each other, it's, it's very moving. And you, you don't, you can see that as a runner, but as a photographer, you're taking a step back and you have a physical thing in between you and this experience. And so you're able to kind of I mean, maybe be a little more conceptual in the, in the moment when it's happening, mm -hmm. but it's just such a unique, New York is such a unique place. When I go to other places, they have their own unique twist on it. And sometimes it is trying to emulate what's happening in New York, but in New York, I think it's, it, and across the country, it's just interesting to see like the, the differences mm -hmm. and the nuances of what makes a Rue crew versus an old man versus um, a CSRD in, in Seattle versus, uh, you, know, the, you know, some other Northeast track club. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So we've heard some crazy stories, like how you almost got arrested in the New York Marathon. I love that story. Things like that. <laughs> do you have any other crazy stories? Or do you want to elaborate on that one oh, of God, when you were yeah. trying to get I the can, perfect shot? I can, that was, uh, that's a more fun one than the Toyota crazy stories. I think, uh, so I was banditing, um, which I bandit responsibly. I don't know what banditing <laughs> means. It means that you are running a race without a bid, and I... How I do it responsibly is I make sure that I'm in nobody's way, which is, I know it's hard to say, but when you're out there on the marathon course, it's very easy to know if you're in somebody's way. And I bring my own water. So I don't take from the water stations. I don't take from the aid stations. I bring my own fuel. So I had run 20 miles of the course at this point, and I was setting up a shot, and a police officer came over to me, and he sees that I don't have a bib on, and I have a camera. And he's like, sir, do you have a, do you have a bib? And I said, no. And he says, then you're not going anywhere. And he put... This dude was like 6'2", big, big, big gentleman. He put his arm around my waist, and I don't think he, ex I don't know why he <laughs> didn't expect me to be sweaty, but he, I was disgusting at that point. It, it was, was hot. It was hot. It was humid. It had rained. I, I was like like a, like a gecko, like a salamander. It was like disgusting. So he recoiled for a second because he, he just touch your sweat. No one wants to hug me after a marathon. And so he, as soon as he recalled, I took off. And I just like, I just, I, I went like six, six minute pace. Like I, I literally so just like funny. complete, it was just up Fifth Avenue. Um, but yeah, it's, that was uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, the people around me too, like uh, I had stopped and said hi. The reason why I had stopped, not just take a photo, because I was saying hi to a couple of friends mm -hmm. who didn't know me all that well. And they were just like, <laughs> what the fuck just happened um and they were like the guy was swearing at me or down the yeah. street um but he wasn't gonna catch him but yeah that's really funny because i feel like so if i was funny. the police officer i would have been like okay that's kind of impressive yeah. like he just like yeah, came me up with a camera it. like hand in, in hand like just pouncing down the street and i don't know why what why he i don't know why why, he, <laughs> why does it grabbing matter? me immediately yeah like, yeah i, I don't know it's and, and, I, and i don't blame him he's just doing his job but like not yeah not yeah cool. That's so funny. I guess to round out the all about rentography, because we also do want to get into the perimeter project, which mm -hmm. we've mentioned a bunch. But um, I guess two questions. One, what's been your favorite thing about doing this as your career now, being a freelance and taking a freelance, especially? Uh, the freedom. The freedom, honestly. A community of run photographers is very strong as well. 
there's a lot of people that talk to each other and help each other out with like anything from skills to clients to referrals and like talking to someone like Keith Montero or Keith Morrison who's been photographing doing freelance for, for their entire career or most of their career is so helpful um, to, to be able to like know how to navigate it. Cause it's a weird thing. Aisha McAdams who photographs a lot for like Solomon and Martin, she says like a chess game. Like you have okay. to really think and strategize six moves ahead. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like, there is a lot of strategy that goes into how you approach your career now or how I approach my career, but there's a lot of freedom. Right. So the ability to just like create for a couple of days, like I said, I'm on day four of a four day shooting day from three different brands and tomorrow I have to edit. And then the next day I'm going to do nothing. <laughs> and that is beautiful. And yeah. like, I think, you know, I'll walk my dog past people that were in, that are walking to their work in suits. And I remember that life. I had that life for a long time. I don't miss it. And I think I may want to go back to a more steady career at some point. Um, it's something that I still, you know, I'm thinking about of, of how I approach as I move into my forties. I'm in my late thirties now, uh, which is crazy to say, but you know, right now it's, it's the freedom is amazing. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. I'm jealous. I know. <laughs> I know. One of the, it's like, we, especially starting this podcast, we're just, we're big into the passion projects. Oh, and yeah. Doing things for ourselves. So completely understand <laughs> that. I mean, you have to just sort of like, I did, and that's the thing is like, I didn't start this thinking like, I want to be a professional photographer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I started this saying like, I want to take cool images and hang out with cool people. And I think I take a lot from old school skate culture where like the photographers and skating culture were just as important as the mm -hmm. skaters. It's not what I was trying to be. I was not trying to elevate my profile, but I just like hanging out and like, listen, like supporting people on a long run through photography. If someone needs support, like over mm -hmm. 30, a couple of years or this past year, someone needed a pacer. I put down my camera and I paced that person for five miles. Okay. Right. And I think it, for me, it's being around the people versus I could have gotten some sick shots, but like they needed help. Yeah. And so I, I helped them and that's, <clears throat> that's where I get my joy. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I love that. And then I guess the last part of this, you, you know, mentioned that you work with some cool brands, any exciting projects coming up or like bucket list <clears throat> brands or events that you want to work with? Oh man. Some I can't tell you about. That's um, fair. Because <laughs> <laughs> I signed some NDAs. Uh, no, I, I think the fall, ha I have a lot of really awesome stuff. I think what's good now is people before when they would hire me for occasional jobs, like before I was full time. And be like, we need someone to capture something. Mm -hmm. Now people are coming to me and say, we want you to capture it, how you do it. And I think like yesterday I shot for Arcterix and I asked them, I always ask them like, is there a style guide or a brand book? And they're like, just do your thing. And I think for me, I'm excited because in the coming five to eight weeks, I'm going to be putting a lot of scenarios where it's going to be, I'm excited to try to see how I can approach them mm -hmm. with my own energy, my own approach um it doesn't always work and that's mm -hmm. the that's the the only caveat like it's not always roses and, and <laughs> yeah. uh and, and, and rainbows um there are some times where it's incredibly frustrating and and the only advice i have to people if i can i'm even in a position to give advice is just you're going to fail more than you're going to get it right in the beginning and you're still going to fail again it's like running right you're mm -hmm. going to have a bad race but i have a lot of a lot of stuff so stay stay tuned <laughs> we're excited we're so for excited <laughs> All right, I feel like we need to get into the the running. <laughs> yeah, we briefly talked about how you got into running, but as people know, you are you run a lot of ultras. 
how did you get into running ultras? Yeah, that first 22 miler that you finally <laughs> yeah. liked running to running the Chicago Marathon injured to then like... Where was the show? Always <laughs> yeah. our 30. Uh, OSR 30 is 2021. Can you, for people shows. who don't know yeah. what our OSR 30 uh, is... Sorry, listeners. <laughs> if, you're not listeners. A, if you're not in tune with the New York yeah. running scene. For our listeners at home. Um, so or- Orchard Street Runners is a group that meets on Tuesdays down on Orchard Street at Regina's Grocer. They're known for being incredibly fast. Um, they're really friendly. So don't feel like you the fast is a, is a limiter. And they have runs and races. So they're most known for a couple races, the Midnight Half, the OSR 10K, and the OSR 30. And those are unsanctioned races, meaning that the streets are not closed down. A lot of times there's no set route. So what Joe Donato, who is the head of OSR and, and Corey Weiss, who is the, the race director, they like to test not only your speed, endurance, but also your test of knowledge of the city. Can you make the shortest route? So for instance, in the midnight half, there was four checkpoints that you had to hit in any order, but you have to start and finish in the same place. So the whole point was like, who's doing what at what time. And it creates this whole conversation of not just about running, but running in the city, in New York city. So the OSR 30 is an annual race that's held uh, typically in March, which is a 30 ish mile race. Um, so it is the ish, <laughs> ish um, cause again, it goes back to that checkpoint. It's typically, it didn't always used to be the perimeter of Manhattan. It used to go into Brooklyn, but now it's really the perimeter. So it'll start and end at the same spot and you have checkpoints throughout. So at the time that I was doing it, 2021, it was me and Tina who like signed up. Uh, basically I had, it came out of nowhere. So again, this is coming out of the pandemic. Um, and it was like, is it going to come back? Is it not going to come back? And Joe does not give you a race calendar. Mm-hmm. It's like, bam, here's a 30 mile race in two weeks. Are you yeah. ready or are you not ready? I've noticed that it's like on, you check their Instagram one week. It's like, we're launching this tomorrow. Race is next week. A hundred percent. So it was like late April and I had been working with Jess Woods, my coach. And we just started working together about six months earlier. And, um, it was like, okay, in four weeks, there's a 30 mile race. I texted Jess. I was like, can I do this? And she says, you can do this. It's going to be hard. And the next four weeks are going to suck. And I was like, cool, let's do it. And so I, I trained for this. I did a four-week build. I had already had a base, I, but I had done a base um, for really half marathons. Yeah. And once we found the course, we found out that it was going to be about 33 miles. I think the shortest route I saw was like 31, whatever. And I did it with Tina. And so it was me, Tina, uh, Tim West on a bike pace, also Jess Woods on a, on a bike pacer. Um, and we ran 34 miles in four hours and 30 minutes wow. and Tina smoked me towards the end. We were going <laughs> probably like at a stupid pace that we shouldn't have been doing, but we, <laughs> but, um, it was, I think an experience in that, like the community came out, but also I realized that I don't want to say it wasn't hard, but I didn't have the difficulty and challenges that the 2019 build mm-hmm. to Chicago had. It felt natural. Everything felt like I should be doing this. And I had a really good support system of, of, of people that were running with me and training with me. And I was like, this is awesome. I want to try to do this again. I love that. I OSR 30 has been on my list for a little bit. If I wasn't doing TSP, I would have done it this year. Yeah. Next and, year. Yeah. And next year. I mean, anyone that is curious about it, I encourage to do it. Yeah. Just because like, it's the most, I want to accessible is not the right word, but it's not as frightening mm-hmm. and it's always going to be like doing an ultra is always scary like yeah. it's like that feeling of 
you're in a theme park and you're in the line. And you're like, fuck, I'm so scared. Like, I'm, I'm, I, when I'm here in the line, if I get out the line, everyone's yeah. going to watch me walk away. But the 30 itself is you have a bike pacer the whole time. You're required to have a bike pacer that stays oh, with you that. every single every single mile. And it's just you lose yourself in the miles and you feel energized because you see people, other teams on the same sort of course. Mm-hmm. And you're either dabbing each other, passing each other, or you're starting to get competitive. And it's just a really fun scenario. Like I've never raced mm-hmm. anything. Um, that's as closest that I've come to race to. Yeah, that's really cool. So I guess you mentioned that that's basically the perimeter. Yeah. Can we get into the perimeter project? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the that was the big one that at least I was introduced me to you because Sarah immediately was like, "This is the coolest thing in the world. What is he doing?" Um, and so I guess first things first, can you give a brief synopsis of what the perimeter project was and yeah. kind of the initial inspiration behind it? Oh man, that's the first time I've heard someone say was. Or it, yeah, yeah. You, well, you, when did yeah. Well, when did you finish it? You finished no, it a, finished, a month I, ago, I two months ago. So the Perimeter Project was a oh, just over a year long uh, running project where I would run the borough perimeters of every borough in New York. And so there's five boroughs, Manhattan, uh, Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island. And I wanted the perimeters, there's different versions of perimeters, as you saw yesterday, right? The version mm-hmm. you guys did yesterday was truncated to some degree because you couldn't go down the east side because of construction. Mm-hmm. So my focus wasn't just to do ultras, it was to explore New York and at least have somewhat of a conversation of what neighborhoods are outside of just Manhattan. So I wanted to do it over the course of a year and I wanted one to be in extreme heat and one to be in extreme cold, which I fortunately or unfortunately got. Um, (laughs) And it it took a lot of training, it took a lot of thought, it took a lot of planning, but um, I wrapped up and I got a little injured at some point, so I had to push. I wanted to do it in a year, but it took... Uh, I think 13, 14 months for me to do. Wow. That's so cool. Can you, what are the distances of each? So, and what order did you do them in? I did them, I'll tell you by order. So, Manhattan is like 30, it's typically a 50K, 31 or 32. I did the Bronx next, or sorry, Brooklyn next, which was 50, the Bronx, which was 50, Staten Island was 44, and Queens was 70. I did like, so, so Queens, I did like 69.5, but like, yeah, it, yeah. It, Round it out. Yeah, <laughs> I never, and that's just the other important thing is I didn't do these to try to hit a number. Right? Yeah. Um, and like in Queens, like I was running with my friend Ty Richards, and he was like, "Let's go, to, let's just do another seventy. Like, no, dude, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Like, I, I did the perimeter. We started this one spot. I did the whole of Queens. I got this mm-hmm. next spot. I don't care. You want to do seventy? You go finish off a half mile. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. It literally, I love that. It literally was just to to get around the boroughs and i think for me it was important to have make sure each route was reflective of the borough mm-hmm. going yeah. through certain neighborhoods because like technically no one's really done the manhattan perimeter because roosevelt island is part mm-hmm. of the manhattan perimeter so you'd have to literally do the manhattan perimeter and then do roosevelt island mm-hmm. no one i know has done that yeah um but that's we could have been the first you we could have been the first if only <laughs> we would have known we'll do it today so yeah that's, yeah that's, that's what it is what was your favorite borough and your least favorite borough? Oh, I hate to pick least favorites. <laughs> I, would say, I would say the Bronx was my favorite, okay. um, hands down, because you're going through all these, the Bronx is beautiful. That's mm-hmm. a phrase that people say, but don't really internalize until you are in the Bronx and you run through these streets, you see the people on these streets that are 
everyone I've met, every runner and human I've met from the Bronx, I've enjoyed. They all have these distinct personalities and are, are very down to earth individuals. And so you're running through all these different types of neighborhoods from industrial to the beach, to these parks. Then you get to Riverdale and you have these humongous hills. You get down to like Southern Bronx and you're like in these really energetic neighborhoods. And it just gives you a lot to look at, a lot to think about, a lot to, a lot to see. Uh, I did that with my friend Malcolm, who is also just an incredible human. So mm-hmm. it was nice to, nice to do that. Mm-hmm. Least favorite, I mean, Queens is hard as shit. Mm-hmm. And I think I, it's not that it was my least favorite, but it was, a, it was definitely one of the more difficult things I've ever done in my life. So it, it was very, very difficult, but like Queens was a lot of fun. And I think capping it with Queens was not intentional, but it felt nice. It yeah. Felt good. Yeah. I love that. What did your training look like for this? Because I feel like it's very, it's a very unique kind of training plan. Because you, you were literally training for a year. Like you couldn't yeah. really stop and you said you got injured in the middle. So yeah, what did that look like? I mean, it was a lot of time on feet mm-hmm. and a lot of like long miles. And it's it's weird if I, if, if I sound strange about this because I don't ever talk about my training. It's just because I think it's boring to people. <laughs> since you asked, I think, you know, a lot of my longer efforts were focused on ensuring that I could be out on active for a long duration of time. So to give you an example, leading up to the Bronx, I knew I was going to hit a ton of hills and I am, I like to think of my physical and my mental training as one. And I like to train them both together. So I had one run that was four miles every hour for six hours. And so you can dice that anytime, any sort of way you want, right? You could go out and you could run four miles and come back and then, or you could string along of a long run. I decided to do the same two mile stretch. So an out and back for two miles wow. up and down a hill oh, for my God. six hours. And so I also did it without music. And so my focus there was to just make sure that I could mentally mm-hmm. withstand the strain of seeing the same hill. Yeah. up and down for effectively an entire day. And I had, after the third hour, I had lunch. So I had uh, a hamburger. So I was making sure I was also practicing my fueling. So a lot of my training looks on paper to be miserable. <laughs> so, so for like Staten Island, I knew it was very flat. I wanted to hit more hills because I wanted to be able to sustain myself across flat ground. Mm-hmm. So I did 16 miles on the Williamsburg Bridge. And it, wow. it's one of those things where like, I know there was a marathon there. I was so mad that I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't able to run yeah. that. But those are the types of things that I do, which are to somebody else overhearing. It's like, why would you ever do that? Mm-hmm. But for me, it's when I'm on these efforts, I key into that mental, mm-hmm. that mental bank. And I'm able to be like, listen, I've done the most boring runs in the world and I can hang with this. Right. Yeah. And I think those are the things like during miles 35 to 41 are always my issues. Like, Something always happens. I always, I lose some mental steam, but I pick it back up because I'm trying to, my best to, to key into that bank. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's even a mental feat to come up with those workouts to be like, yeah. I'm going to do this. <laughs> Jess always knows how, to, knows how to get weird. She's always like, let's get weird. Uh, yeah, I love and, that. And uh, it's, it's always a fun, always a fun day. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So what is something that, I mean, I feel like it's really tough to pick. So we'll, maybe say top three, but <laughs> something that you learned in this experience that you feel like you've carried on since. 
I would say there's a confidence that goes along with some of these things. And I generally don't view myself as a good runner. I don't know what that means. Uh, people say you're a good runner. I, that to me doesn't mean anything like what compared to whom, yeah. compared to what. But I do now have a, a, a stronger vision of what my skill set entails um, and what I'm able to do. Um, and now I'm looking at trying to do these faster, trying to do, do longer distances um, a little more competitively. Um, and I think I would never have done that if I did not know that I could physically go the distance or go into these situations where I'm putting myself in immense pain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they always say like, you're getting comfortable with discomfort. I don't like that either. I think it's, you're getting familiar with discomfort because it's always going to be uncomfortable, whatever you're doing. If you're doing a longer effort, even if you're doing a marathon, or if you're doing a 5k, if you're going to do like your fastest 5k. It's pain. Um, <laughs> so I, for me, it's like, I now know where my barometer is, but I don't know. I have no frame of reference. Like I said before at the top, I'm a relatively new runner. Mm -hmm. When you think about years, I don't know if this is, if, I don't know if I'm good and I don't care, yeah. but I do know that I am confident that if someone's like, Hey, can you, can you go do this? Can you go run this? Like recently we Southbound 400 was a relay race from Canada all the way down to lower Manhattan. I knew that I could do that. I knew that we could, like my team could crush that just because of the perimeter project mm -hmm. and like marathons weren't, wouldn't have set me up for success for that. But because yeah. I had run these unsanctioned alters, because I had put myself in uncomfortable scenarios consistently, mm -hmm. I knew that a 400 mile relay for three days was nothing. Like yeah. I knew that I was prepared mentally for that, even though it was going to be in the moment, incredibly hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like once you figure out that you're capable of doing something, you feel like you can do much more. That's, I mean, that's the whole point though, right? Because like we're, like I said before, none of us, very few of us are making money off of this. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, then the why becomes a very important question. Like, why are you doing this? And I know this whole like, why do you run stories are very, yeah. they, they're everywhere, right? Yeah, because yeah. It, it does, it does beg a good question. Like, why are you actually dedicating your time? your money, potential injury mm -hmm. to this thing that you're getting literally almost nothing for, unless yeah. you're trying to elevate your profile through it, which we won't touch on. <laughs> but I think what you learn by doing anything that's challenging yourself is you are getting something, you're getting a barometer of where your brain is at mm -hmm. and where your mental capacity is at. Um, I know some people that run four and a half hour marathons and honestly, they, they do it in a way that like, inspires me more than it more than seeing people do like Killian Jornet crush UTMB mm -hmm. for me because their their mental capacity has has allowed them to achieve something that's hard that's difficult for them and I think that's crucial uh, okay. across the board and I think you know you don't need to run 70 miles to inspire somebody and I, I think it's because of I key into like why are you actually putting yourself out there and mm -hmm. it's and it's it's nerve wracking, but it's also really rewarding. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Especially, I mean, I have a bunch of friends who are, I mean, we're relatively new to running too. It's yeah. I've like, only started running since 2021. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so <laughs> many people that they always are like, I'm like not a good runner and all this things, but like hearing and just reiterating that like, you do not have to be the fastest runner. You do not have to run the furthest distance to inspire people. And I think that's like really a really good point because it's so true it's like and you can do whatever you want in the running community and you are inspiring somebody yeah Davey Davey Ruiz uh Davey Oso on Instagram finished uh Chicago and I think it was like I think he finished in like eight hours or like seven hours or something like that 
and they were breaking down the course as mm-hmm. he was like taking the flat like he had a his his run crew in chicago he had a flag and my buddy tim rossi was there and he had a whole group of people that were like crossing the finish okay. line with him that to me is more important yeah right? that to me like that I mean, even just as an ultra marathoner, being out there for eight hours mm-hmm. is a is a yeah. hard thing to do. Um, but to answer your question, my record, like, I mean, you just these things teach me a lot about myself, and I think that's selfish. But I think I'm okay with being selfish. Yeah. Bit. I mean, if you're going out and yeah. running all these miles, all these hours, I think everyone would understand that it's you know it's okay to do like learn things about yourself yeah. and yeah. take it as that you're not really doing it for other people, no. even though as a kind of side, it did inspire so many people to do similar things. A hundred percent. And I think that that's the hard part is I, I don't do well with being in the spotlight and I, I appreciate and everyone that came out and supported me. And like, it's, it's hard for me to verbalize how much I like get emotional thinking about people wanting to just like do a mile with me okay. on these things. Yeah. Um, and I've never been good at being in the spotlight, like being, having people talk about the work that I do or knowing who I am is like, kind of strange to me um but it's it's always been about finding some learning something about myself i always say it's like anytime i'm on these longer efforts and i start to get in a flow state it's like i'm taking myself out of myself and and seeing and working things out Mm -hmm. like i'm literally not in my brain um and that's unique and a lot of times like on these efforts if you've ever run them with me you notice i don't talk a ton and that's because i'm not there for you yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you're there for me, but mentally, I'm trying to think about different things. I think that's the best. That best type of company is the ones that know exactly your guys are on the same wavelength, where it's like you know what the other person needs, and you can understand that and appreciate it and respect it, yeah, and not force yeah. anything additional to that. It's like sometimes you just need to run in silence for ten miles, and that's yep. totally fine. Yeah, you can't. Uh, I was on a, a friend of mine was was doing it. I won't reveal too much because then it'll be very explicit of who we're talking about. <laughs> but she was on a, an ultra effort and someone came up and was pacing with her and they started complaining about the weather and <laughs> oh, about no. the mileage. And Jail. She, yeah. And I was like, I, I, I would have lost like, it. You need to, like, if you, and, and that's the thing is like, yeah. to your point, like having friends that can read, read the room and be like, okay, this person is doing a long effort mm-hmm. and I've been here for 30 seconds and I'm complaining about the heat. Yeah. They're going to be out here for the rest of the day. Yeah, like, no, it's like, <laughs> get out of my face. Like, you're there, like, that. absolutely not, not. Literally run away. Yeah. <laughs> literally run away. Um, so I guess with all of that, since you did say you just finished the last of the perimeters in June, what's what's on the, what's on the agenda? What's on the agenda? <laughs> I have JFK 50 in Woo! November. Which um, Sarah will be at. I'll be crewing. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm looking to, to to see how fast I can do that. Is this your first sanctioned ultra? Uh, ish. Yes. <laughs> uh, I would say I, I had done a couple um, trail trail marathons prior, which I'll not, not equate to an ultra, but it's mm-hmm. like it's a longer effort mm-hmm. on the trail. Um, and then I'm trying to think about what I do next. I think creatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think people are asking me, and I I sort of after. I didn't even know what I was going to do after I finished the 70. Like I couldn't see past that mentally because I would actually ran it a little bit injured as mm-hmm. well. I was having some hip issues leading into that. So I started that day not knowing I could finish if I was going to finish or my body was going to finish. So for me now I'm sort of in this weird honeymoon phase where I finished the thing I've been working on for a year and now I'm okay with having no plans. Um, but I do want to see if I can do some more formal things and that's just 
to see where I'm at, mm -hmm. honestly, because like I said, I have no frame of reference yeah. of, of where my skills are in the universe of ultra individuals. Um, I'm sure it's very low, <laughs> but, but we'll, you know, I'll figure that out probably the next couple of year, next year. And then I think next year I'm, I'm working on something that might be a little bit longer uh, oh, cool. than what I'm used to. I'm toying with the idea of maybe looking at doing TSB solo. I don't know. You would be great for that. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I need to find out if, uh, if I have a reason to do it mm -hmm. I want to do it. I've talked to people about it. This is no secret, but, um, I need to find why I'm going to mm -hmm, do yeah. it and what I'm going to try to do. Cause I think if, if I do that, that's going to consume a lot of, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel pressure to keep up the momentum that kind of built from the perimeter project? That's an interesting question. I, yes and no. I think people expect things of, of me as it relates to my running. I don't know what my running does for people. I think it's because, it, because I said it's so individual, mm -hmm. um, people expect me to be creative with it. Um, which is hard because mm -hmm. it's like, think about anything you could do with your body and like, be creative, like be interesting. It's, it's like <laughs> someone saying like, you should be a unique individual. Yeah. What does that even mean? Yeah. It's like, come up with something brand new that no yeah, one else has done. No it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. So I think right now I, I do feel, um, not pressure, but I do want whatever I do next to be meaningful yeah. because I think going through like even running in Staten Island. No one runs in step like like you'll do a Staten Island half, and mm -hmm. there's a couple other like five Ks there, but very few people run through there. And I'm glad that what I did had people even consider doing mm -hmm. this. Right? There's a, another a friend of mine named Claudia who is going who's doing the criminal project. She's doing her own version, and she's going to run in Staten Island, and that's great, and mm -hmm. that's amazing, and um, and that that makes I hope more people mm -hmm. explore these areas, um, and I hope whatever I do next enables that or enables at least that conversation um of like new york but I'm not sure I'm not sure yeah yeah well we're excited to see <laughs> very excited to follow along very excited for jfk 50 and to watch you do that and to be there to experience it i yeah. feel like that's going to be a fun one yeah i think how you do these things is just as important so i think that maybe what i'm going to focus on is more of like my approach mm -hmm. and, yeah and you know whether that's from a fueling perspective how i run it how i i don't know gamesmanship yeah yeah um because like I said, I'm not always the fastest, but I will screw people up on the course if I need to. Uh, <laughs> a little more. bit of healthy competition. Yeah, yeah. it's all part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, we, should we finish with the rapid fire? Yeah, we always like to finish with some. Oh lord. Yeah, some we've been going for an hour already, which I feel like this has just flown by. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's been really, really interesting. I love hearing about the photography. I think it's so cool. But yeah, we like finishing with a little bit of just like random okay. questions, just for fun. If you could go back in time and choose one event in history to photograph, what would you choose? Uh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> now um, it's time for the hard hitting oh, questions. Jesus. <laughs> um, uh, I would say uh, the invention of the light bulb. Oh, cool. Sick. Because I think, because uh, there was, I mean, there was light and photography go hand in hand, but I think seeing the first light bulb go on, yeah. literally the dude freaking the fuck out like, holy <laughs> shit it worked i think that that to me would be amazing yeah now i really wish that was <laughs> i mean that would be so cool <laughs> yeah um i mentioned way earlier in this that we stalked your linkedin a little bit yeah. um we saw a little something about you touring with a band called the von bondies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite von bondies song <laughs> 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 
Oh man, it, it came from Japan. It's a really good one. Um, that's off their earlier stuff. Yeah, I was a tour manager for the Von Bondies for a couple of years. Uh, did a lot of the North American stuff. Um, they're they're a band. If you're not familiar with them, they did. Um, they're most famous for a Dennis Leary show. Had their their song "Come On, Come On" as the intro to that, but. It came from Japan. It's a really solid song. Okay, we're gonna have to listen. Yeah, to we'll have to, <laughs> we will like play it. Very in the... Detroit girl. <laughs> um, so you've been in New York for a while. What is your favorite restaurant, bakery, and bar? And you can include Brooklyn since you said you lived in uh, Brooklyn. For a little bit. Is things that are still open, um, or things that have closed down. Both. I'm good oh, with both. Okay, fine. <laughs> if you have a one favorite that's closed, but maybe open so that people can go. Yeah, yeah. Want. Max Fish is closed, but that was one of my favorite bars. I used to, it was on the Lower East Side. Uh, I used to go there and play pool, and it was one of like the old, old sort of like Mars Bar, where you were reaching. You felt like you were reaching back in the history of New York, okay. um, which was amazing. But I would say like restaurant um Luzzo's BK is a solid one it's not anything like crazy in terms of but it's like they got great pizza good vibes um bakery um Damascus bakery on Atlantic also in Brooklyn um close to Luzzo's is a great Lebanese Syrian bakery oh, yeah, like if you want legit because I grew up in a Lebanese household if you want legit Lebanese food go there uh, and bar currently that's open as is, as is, mm. as I'm sure we all know is the runner bar in New York. Ben Pratt is a friend of mine, solid dude. Just such a good, such a good spot. Yeah. Um, they do Monday night runs, right? They do Monday night runs. They're doing a run right now. They do Sunday runs. They're doing a run today for, for a charity to raise awareness. And like, they just do a lot of amazing stuff and, and their beer is great. Their food is good. Um, just so much good things to say about that. Yeah, that yeah. I remember we ran there and it was fun. It was yeah. a good group, and the bar yeah. itself is cool. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, it's a run out of a bar. Yeah, what yeah. Else can you want? Insane. It's like what literally the perfect. Yeah, it's exactly. Also like conversational pace. Everyone yeah. like everyone got the memo. Like no one tries to go out too fast. There's no egos. Yeah, it's yeah. Awesome spot. Yeah, I love that. How much would someone have to pay you to shave your mustache? <laughs> Oh man, I so I uh, for Staten Island like three weeks before I was like I might as well just try a new barber because my barber was down in Brooklyn, and I'm rubbing my eyes for those who can't see. Um, so rubbing I, his temple. I went to another. I went to a new barber, and apparently I will pay somebody to do this because they almost shaved it off. <gasps> the guy he was like, "You have a really nice mustache. You mind if I trim it?" And like, if that question is asked. Like if you haven't seen my mustache, it's it's quite big, and you figure like you typically trim above the lip. So I thought he was just going to do that. He trimmed it, so I had like a Gomez Adams from <laughs> fucking. Uh, and so thankfully, like it was January, and I wasn't like going out and seeing anybody, but uh, or February, and but I was like shit. So it's almost happened. Um, but I would say uh, twenty grand if you want me to shave. Twenty grand to shave the mustache of anybody who wants to. Like posters about yeah. this. So yeah. <laughs> me like a wanted time but <laughs> that's so funny all right what is what would you say is your spirit animal uh caribou oh i like that Why? Caribou. Yeah. I, I went to alaska uh in my early 20s in august and so it was like really like sort of felt like fall weather like so like mid-october weather in but in uh in summer in alaska and we were on us on this uh it wasn't like a, a bus, but it was like a camper van. And caribou are, they're frequently, you can see them, but this guy was saying like they haven't really been out this season. 
and then we see in this distance like literally the mist clears and there's this mystical caribou <laughs> and you it's just a gorgeous looking animal right and behind it it's my mouth and Nolly. and i was like this thing is so fucking majestic and like whatever i can do to emulate that that's what i want to be and that's like i've taken that image with me across many years um just because it just didn't seem real it literally was like this is out of a this is out of a movie this is not my real life um and so i always like to to emulate things that i think are above me or are out of reach for me because that gives me something to shoot for and so that's why that's my character i love that yeah that's a great answer yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then our last question that we ask everybody is what's a model that you live by it's actually funny that this is my motto. What I say, what I say is like take it at half speed, take life at half speed. And this is from when I worked at Saturday Night Live, um, where you're working in a very crazy environment. Because I was on set SNL for for half a season, and it's just such an insane operation. You need to have everything, every T cross, I dotted. Like there can be no mistakes. And I found myself making some mistakes because I was trying to rush things. And what I learned is if I slow my speech, if I slow my brain just half halfway down in those intense moments, you're going to be going normal pace. Like you're going to be going normally, but what you're going to be doing is having more attention to detail, more attention, more intention to yourself. And people will listen to you more. Um, if you literally just calm yourself down. So I, I, I always, that's how I approach my, my, work that's how i approach my life my relationships is i try to make sure i have that intention built in that time that it takes to have that intention built in because if you don't you're going to be reaching for stuff and you're going to be making mistakes and sometimes those mistakes can't be taken back especially if it's in you know relationship territory or friendship territory so um yeah i just try to slow things down and just enjoy it yeah okay yeah well dave Thanks so much for being here. For Always this a pleasure. Is, this was so much fun, and we're happy we finally got to do this in person. Yay. Yeah. Hooray for IRL. I know. <laughs> yeah. Internet friends, surreal that. friends. We love it. We love it so much.